Cappuccino with Constable Brian. Real people, real stories. My guest today on the Cappuccino, Rod Emerson, with a staggering, I don't know if you know this or not, Rod, 7,666 tweets. Really? To your name. Well done, you. Uh, he's the editorial card, where was the editorial cartoonist for the APNZ News and Media in Australia. He is a former survey and municipal design draftsman. Uh, he had a chance meeting with the famed Batman artist Jerry Robinson, who was the co-creator of The Joker and also Robin the Boy Wonder which led to Rod being included into the Cartoonist and Writers Syndicate in New York City. He's won a number of Australian cartooning awards, including the Best Political Cartoonist, Stanley Awards 2000-2003. He has been the Editorial Cartoonist of the Year 2003, 2004, 2005, 2014, 2019. Gets a bit boring after a while, yeah, doesn't it? Yeah, Qantas, yeah, Qantas Media just, Awards, yep. Yeah. The Canon Cartoonist of the Year 2014. Uh, his cartoons have been published through the New York Times Syndicate and also the Associated Press. He's been a guest presenter at three cartoon conferences. We're going to talk about that, that's for sure, in the United States. He's currently the editorial cartoonist for the New Zealand Herald. And he also received, and it sounds sort of Game of Thrones, but I'm, I'm going to guess there's going to be a really simple solution to this. He was a Ring of Skulls <laughs> International Award yeah. recipient. He was the very first recipient in Canada in 2018. So very big welcome to the Cappuccino Rod. Thanks, Ray. Ah, speed, Pleased to be here. Beautiful. Speed round dedicated to Speed, the world's greatest police off, uh, movie, in my opinion. Uh, who's your favourite cartoonist that you actually follow? I follow lots of cartoonists. I bet you do, yeah. For, for lots of different reasons. <laughs> um, you know, when you every day you start off, you, you start off with a blank page, and more often than not, the, the brain just, it's like a machine needs to be oiled a bit, so... I go through a list of cartoonists just to oil the cogs. Mm -hmm. And the ones that I think are funny, are, they've got great gags. Uh, so like Mike Peters in mm -hmm. Florida, he's a very funny guy. Um, he has a very simple way of getting around very complex situations and mm -hmm. still managing to come up with something that's actually very funny. There's um, <clears throat> those that are poignant, um, those that are... You know, deep and meaningful. There's a whole bunch of cartoonists that I look at all the time, and and that's as I said, it, it helps oil the cogs, but it also helps me define what I'm going to do through the day. Yeah. Um, and if I'm struggling with a with a particular with a very difficult subject, I'll go and look and see what how everybody else has tackled that subject because I've, I can't find a loose thread. What is, what's that loose thread? Um, so you sort of roll it over, and um, so yeah, it's it's just one of those things, I guess. Mm -hmm. Okay, so the best three Twitter accounts that you follow, because I know you follow a fair few. Yeah, as who? Just off the top of your head, give us three of the best Twitter accounts you follow. Uh, well, I like Michael Ramirez because um, uh, I mean I don't necessarily agree with anything that he does, <laughs> but I've known him a long time. He's a very conservative American cartoonist, um, but he, in fact, he was instrumental uh, in a roundabout way of me almost almost moving to New Zealand because at the time I was looking at moving to the States and Michael was the one that was trying to set me up or encouraging me to, to, to move to the States. And um, so I like his work because it, it, 
he's he's a he's a Japanese-born American. Mm -hmm. All his family, all his brothers and sisters are all surgeons, but he's a cartoonist. So he applies that, the detail in his work is just extraordinary. I love his style. I don't necessarily like what he does, yeah. um, but that doesn't matter. And we still get along. Yep. You know? Yeah, yeah, yep, yep. yep definitely. Makes the world go around. Yep. Um, probably Morton Morland would be another one. Um, Morton's a Swedish cartoonist. I think he's, yeah, I'm pretty sure he's Swedish. Morton's with the um, uh, with the Times in London. His work has just blossomed in recent years. Fantastic, and he draws the old school way: watercolor, ink wow. on paper. Yeah. You know that's and and most of the in fact most of the English cartoonists still work that way. It's very very difficult. Um, I'll get to how I draw later. <laughs> uh, top three. So that'd be. Definitely These two. Michael. Yep. Uh, probably. Um, I would probably have a guess and say Anne Telmo's too at the Washington Post. I've known her a very long time. Old drinking buddies from San Francisco. Nicely. There you go. Um, Anne has a has a background in animation, but. Um, so she uses GIFs oh, okay. yep. in her editorial work. And she's been with the Washington Post for quite some time now, and she's been relentless in pursuing Trump. <laughs> um, and I, I, she, her work is very, very simple, very simple line work, um, but she makes a very complex situation look so easy and so easily understood. And plus it moves a bit. Mm -hmm. So it's basically set up for online or mobile phones, right. um, and uh, you know it, it works. It works for her. Um, I mean, I know other cartoonists that have tried animation in their in their work, and it's it, it doesn't work. No, yeah, know? yeah. You've got to be fairly skilled yeah. at it. Yeah. Um, the best comic book character of all time is uh -huh. who, in your opinion? <laughs> oh, that's a tough one because I love yeah. so many of them. Um, I guess I would I would have to say Peanuts, the Peanuts strip, um, and because it's 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 so simple, um, and yet Sparky Schultz mm -hmm. put a lot into that he could understand the psyche of children and yet use um his his knowledge and wisdom over the years um to to weave these wonderful stories mm. through he could it ran at two levels a bit like the simpsons yep. you know, yeah 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 one one side of it runs for the kids and the other so, side runs yeah. for the adults you know yep. um and he did that he was an absolute master at that I was very fortunate to spend some time with him at his studio in Santa Rosa in California, actually, some years ago. Hope you got something autographed? Well, he, yeah, I did, uh, and I wasn't expecting it at all. Um, you know, he's, he's a very nice guy, mm -hmm. like, just so down to earth. Uh, and, he, and, and, and I have to say, he would have been 
probably one of the wealthiest cartoonists in the States mm. by a country mile. Yeah. Um, uh, but very down to earth. Money meant nothing to him. He wasn't r remotely interested whether it turned a dollar or not. He just loved drawing peanuts. Um, <laughs> Literally, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And he, uh, we had a hamburger. I was with a couple of other cartoons from Australia at the time. We had a, we had a hamburger at the Snoopy Museum and then walked across to his studio and he, he was working on a series for um, D-Day. And we sat down and we were chatting and he said, oh, you know, have these and signed a few and gave them to the guys. And, and, I, and I said, no, <laughs> yep. I, you know, I wasn't looking for this. Yep. And, um, and he said, no, take it. It'll put the kids through college. And oh, that sort of rattled me a bit. <laughs> but I took it home. And it was, what, I didn't realise what I actually had at the time, but everybody else got bits and pieces of the Snoopy thing, mm -hmm. you know, mm. Lucy and whatever. Uh, I got Charlie Brown and Snoopy on the doghouse. Nice. Right? Yeah. And when I was here, when I moved here, it, 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 I had it beautifully framed, um, and I bought a house just up here, and I'd been through... Uh, uh, a divorce, but I had, and the kids still with me, yeah. and, and I, and I'd, I'd thrown everything I had at buying this house, and I said to the kids, and as I'm unpacking, I said, "What do we do with this?" And I'm thinking I might I might get it valued, um, because of the insurance and the house and stuff, and so I got in contact with uh, an auction house in Texas. And I sent them a photograph and I said, just give me an idea what this is worth for insurance. And they just came back almost instantly and said, do you want to sell it? I said, no, I just want to hang on to it. He said, well, it's got to be worth fifteen to $16,000 US. What? <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And, um, and I said to the boys, um, my two boys, I said, what do you want to do? And they said, Snoopy's got to go home. <laughs> so I, I, and I have to say that's one of the worst things I've ever parted with. Now the moment I sent it over and sold, and it it sold for sixteen thousand dollars US. Yeah. Um, but it did put it put Angus through uh, the film and television college here at Glenfield and, and South Seas. Yep, yep, at South Seas, and he's now living in Los Angeles, making a bloody fortune. Perfect. They will hopefully so, all, uh, repay you back in kindness, I guess. Yeah. Well. Yeah. And so it's a it's a long story, but it's a good story. It is a know? good story. Uh, apart from Donald J. Trump, the greatest gift in my cartoons <laughs> of all time has been what? Well, I think. Yeah, you got to be careful there, um, because if you bang on about one subject relentlessly, you start to lose the interest of yep. the readers. You know, so you have to come up with if it's going to be the one subject every day, which it has been for American cartoonists in particular. Mm -hmm. You have to have something new and fresh and a different angle. So he was both a blessing and a curse. Yeah. But for me, the most important thing is the story. It's not the person. Mm -hmm. it, it's the story that's developing behind all of that. So um, I can't put my finger on any, and I don't, I don't put my finger on any one thing or yep. any one person. 
Um, there are things that lob up, yep. you know, like like Trump and like Boris Johnson um, on, a, on, a, on a global scale or, um, you know, the, the phenomenon that Erdern has become mm-hmm. in New Zealand. Um, uh, it's not the person. Um, I think you've got to be very careful not to cross that line. And, of course, the other thing, which a lot of people don't take into consideration, is, is that uh, humour... Well, satire, mm-hmm. which I and I consider satire to be humor's evil twin. Yeah. Right? Um, uh, the object of any gag or any joke is is uh, is a person. So not everyone laughs. No. It's always at someone's expense. Yep. So you not only have to know where to start, you have to know when to stop. Uh, and there are. Politicians are fair game, but anyone that trips and falls into the spotlight um, is also fair game to a point. And, and I've had, and I've had people over the years say to me, uh, you know, that have that have been in that situation, said, you know, I could never get a job after that cartoon. That's <laughs> not the story. No, no, it's the cartoon. It's the cartoon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You humiliated, humiliated uh, me. Yeah. So. Um, so You've got to, you know, you have to know when to actually pull back. Yep, I guess. Yeah. Uh, the last book you read was what? Well, I'm still reading <laughs> it. Um, Simon Bridges sent me a, um, a copy of his new book, right. um, National Identity, and I'm still... Still reading it? Still reading it. Okay, yeah. right. Yep, good. Oh, right, no yeah. worries. Right, now, before we start the podcast proper, yeah. I should throw this out there. Yeah. Uh, any comments, opinions, or views expressed by Rod or myself are our own. They are owned by ourselves and nobody or any company firm, etc., that we work for. There we go, there's the Absolutely. nice disclosure. Yeah, right here. Yep. Okay, at what age, Rod, did you decide from, I'm not going to be a draftsman anymore, I'm actually going to go and become a cartoonist? <laughs> well... For most cartoonists that I've met over the years, um, no one really set out in life to become one. It's one of those things you trip over. Yeah. And and I've known many a cartoonist who's been a publican, who's been a cleaner. Alan Moyer, who, uh, a very well-known Australian cartoonist who's originally from, I think, Hastings here in New Zealand. Um, or, or Hawks Bay. Um Alan used to be a cleaner and used to leave cartoons on the editor's desk in, in <laughs> Brisbane. Um, so you, we all come from different backgrounds, but everybody's... The, the one thing that you have in common is that you've got a bit of a sharp tongue, yeah. you know? Yeah, a bit of a cheeky spirit. Yeah, yep. yeah. And you've also got the ability to be able to draw that. Uh, lots of people can draw. Lots of people can have got that smart-ass sort of um, take on life, but not many can actually weave the two together. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so that's the one thread that we've all got in common. And I used to... Um, I mean, I, I had all sorts of jobs. I was always interested in art. There wasn't an artistic bone in, in either of my parents. Mm-hmm. Um, they always had a academic career planned for me and and it just never worked (laughs) and it was the 70s as well oh dear Um, and because I grew up in Queensland and at the time uh, a former 
very well-known New Zealand export, <laughs> Joe yes. Bianchi-Peterson, yes. was Premier. And you don't get to stay Premier for 19 years without a little bit of you know, moving the goalposts yes. around the yep. place. And um, very long story cut short, that inspired me to, oh, it was all, you know, young people were angry about what was going on in Queensland at the time. You, you couldn't walk more than two abreast in the street because it would constitute a uh, legal gathering. Things like that were going mm-hmm. on all the time. Mm-hmm. And, and so you, you rebelled. And so I had this massive rebellious nature from the high school all the way through. There was, you know, the Vietnam War, apartheid, all those things. Yep. Um, and I just didn't know where I could vent this frustration. Uh, and I used to paint and draw and all that sort of stuff. So I had a variety of different jobs. And I, but I ended up um, in central Queensland as a, as a uh, survey draftsman and then went on to become a municipal design draftsman there. And one of my mates, a surveyor, his wife was a journalist, and we we all used to meet at a pub on a Friday afternoon, mm-hmm. as you do, <laughs> have a long lunch. Yep. And and I used to do caricatures of different people on beer coasters, always doodling. And and one day Anne said, um, you know, have you ever thought of doing cartoons? And but she persisted, and in fact, she was relentless, and she made me um, sit down and come up with some cartoons she could poke into the nose of the local of her editor, which I did, and he gave me a job straight away, gave me a spot once a week on uh, an insert in the local paper. It, you know, it was a nothing spot. It was a great start. Yeah. And I did that for four or five years. And then one day that editor phoned me while I was at the Shire in the drawing office and said, how would you like to do this full time? And I scoffed. I was you kidding me? You're kidding me. You know, um, I've got a great job. Yeah. And, and at the time, well, we were in a brand new octagonal building right on the beach in New Pern, looking across at Keppel Island. You see dolphins in the water. Nice. And, you know, it was just magic. You want me to give that up? No. And thanks very much, but no. And then a year later, he said, I don't know what they're paying you down there, but I'll double it. And I thought, well, now you have my undivided attention. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So I gave it six months. The Shire held my job for me. Um, Although the head draftsman said it was a natural progression, given the quality of my plans. There you go, yep. Uh, <laughs> and I've never looked back. It's just been this trajectory. I, I suddenly found I had an, I had someone who believed in what I could do or my ability. Um, the journalists didn't like me starting because they needed more journalists. Yeah. Um, but, you know, he was playing that with a straight bat. And he sent me to Sydney and to Melbourne to meet cartoonists get involved with the Australian Cartoonists Association which is the it's the oldest cartoonist association in Australia I eventually became president of that over the years um, so in political cartooning terms in Australia I was the new guy on the block coming through the ranks and um, not a lot of jobs you know there's no, mm. 
not a lot of people do this sort of work. Mm -hmm. And so um, I got to a point where I had to move. Mm. You know, mm -hmm. um, I was by that stage I was syndicating to all the papers in the APN network. <clears throat> um, Jerry was posting my work uh, through the Cartoonists and Writers Syndicate in New York, putting me in papers in Europe and across the states. Um, Michael Ramirez was telling me, you know, you've got to think of moving. Um, there's a job coming up in, the, in Oregon, I think it was at the time. And what I didn't realise was that the New Zealand Herald editor, Gavin Ellis, was stalking me. And he'll tell you that. <laughs> he said, accuse me of being a stalker. <laughs> I came over here for a conference, which he was at, and I gave a talk, um, and uh, which brought me into his radar and he offered me a position here um, he said you know it's it's not going to happen straight away um, the guy we've got we're having some problems with and they were having employment issues with one person and he said we've been looking around for a while um, take your time have a look around see what you think sent me on a holiday and um, I thought, well, it's a bit closer than L.A. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so they, they kind of almost, yeah, they almost speak the lingo over here. So that's, uh, Well, that's right. Yeah. Um, so I thought, well, I'll see how I go living deep behind enemy lines. <laughs> <laughs> Can you remember your parents' reaction when you said to them, I'm going to become a full-time oh, full yeah. cartoonist? Oh, my father told me to join the army, I think. Yeah. He was just horrified. Um just couldn't believe that you could make money, mm. make an income from that. And of course, um, it took many years for him to actually come round. And when my work started being published, uh, being picked up and published in what was known as the Bulletin Newsweek in Australia, which is the equivalent of sort of Time magazine, mm -hmm. but for Australia. Yep. Um, all of a sudden, Dad had sit up. Oh, oh okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, hey, look, that's not a bad thing, I guess. Yeah, yeah. So you know, it was a it, it was a tough battle for um, for my father. Not so much for my mum. Yeah. She just you know. Yeah. Do what you want. That's to do. just right. Yeah. We yeah. out there now. Being an editorial cartoonist means that you very often get the chance to poke the borax or start a discussion or show mm -hmm. an up and injustice that is. Yeah. Is there ever a line? You've spoken a little bit about not making it about the person, but is there ever a line that you should never, ever cross as an editorial cartoonist or a, a sort of political cartoonist, do you think? Yeah, the, well, yes and no. Um, I mean, every day you're riding a razor blade. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay? Yeah. And that razor blade consists of defamation. Mm-hmm. So... Um, Although the defamation laws here are a little bit different to what they are in Australia as opposed to what they are in America in particular. Um, so every day you're, you've got to tiptoe in and around that. Um, but as I said earlier, it's the story that dictates mm. what you do. And there are, there are lines that you don't cross. You don't go for family no. or children. Yep. Um, you know, you research and you could find something in that person's history which might be a little bit dodgy and you think, oh, you know, well, mm. is it worth actually dragging that into the cartoon or not? You just leave it out, let let the journalist handle that one. Yeah, yeah. 
um, because because the, the, the one rule that I do follow is that you don't become the cartoon. Uh, you follow the story, right? So yep. you don't go out venturing with the cartoon to follow the story. The cartoon follows the story itself. That's that's very very important. Yeah. Um, so the journalist does the story for you, and all you're doing is following the circus, really. Um, and then you're going through all the rubbish bins and trying to find something that you can bring into that. Yeah. Does that does that, that, make that, it, answers does that answer it, yeah. your question? Yeah, that does. <laughs> do you do you often worry with the current climate of like cancel culture and people's sensibilities and yeah. people being very easily offended that sometimes you might push the boat out a little bit too far with a cartoon? Yeah. Um, we take that on board, and in fact, I've had some of my professional colleagues. Um, uh, I've seen their careers kicked from mm. one end of the planet to the other. Yeah. Because they've done something, you know, that that's offended somebody, mm-hmm. and um, and two in particular, Bill Leak in Australia, and the other one is Mark Knight, who did the Serena Williams cartoon. And I know both those guys very, very well. Bill died from the stress mm-hmm. and a heart attack and died. And, and of course, closer to home here in New Zealand, um, there was also the Garrick Tremaine business. Mm-hmm. And so what, we, what we've done is that we've set up um, a, a safety net to a point. Now, they, there's an awful lot of trust in what I do. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> I don't submit drafts. No. I come up with a... Editors are busy. They're juggling chainsaws and knives and lipstick all day. Yeah. So they've got a lot on their hands. The last thing they want is for you to come in and say, hey, "Listen, I've got this great idea." You know? Yeah. Yeah. I don't want to know about it. <laughs> yeah. Um, so there's a lot of trust in me to come up with something. So, first flag is if I think I'm doing something that's dodgy. I, I do a quick sketch yep. and then I'll go and see the editor as early as I can before they start to get muddled in stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and they'll, they may like it, they may dislike it, they might kick it upstairs to the lawyers. Mm-hmm. Um, or they, I mean, and they'll make the call on, you know, do we want to spend the next six months in court defending this cartoon or can we change a word somewhere? And we've had to do that. It happens probably two or three times a year where a lawyer will say, you know, change that word or change that in the background. Um, There's that. That's one level. Mm -hmm. Then the next level are the taste tests. I've got a series of sub-editors that I go to. Right, yep. And they'll tell me point blank, you know, that's crap. Yep. Um, And it's better to hear it from them then they hear it from 300,000 people exactly. the next day. Yep. So we have that filter system. It, it's, I mean, it, it works, and there's always something that's going to get through, mm-hmm. you know? Yep. But um, by yep. and large, we're still set, you know, we're, we're very conscious of it. But that, but to me, it's still another subject. 
Yeah, know? well, yeah, exactly. Your sensitivities are my yeah. are a subject. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Yeah. <laughs> and there's a way to get to it. Yeah. Let me tell you. <laughs> you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. I can get through that, um, you, yeah. know, you know, that, that, uh, that bulletproof vest and I can touch the ribs and yeah. you can do that with a pen. Yeah, and it's amazing know? that you can, well, it's, it's both amazing and I think kind of really neat that you can do that as well. Um, when the officers of Charlie Hebdo were stormed and 12 people were killed and the Jesuit Charlie movement started, yeah. did it worry you any and did, like, were the cartoonists around the world? Because I know that there were lots of cartoonists yep. who were outraged and they should yep. be as well. Um, but did it, do you think that changed cartooning forever or did that actually put the heckles up and actually get, make you go as, as cartoonists? Uh, actually, you know what? This is this actually proves that what we're doing is actually something really valid and poignant there. Yeah, well, there's, there's always two sides to a story. There. Mm-hmm. Um, there's the Charlie Hebdo thing, and then there's also the um, the Muhammad cartoons, mm-hmm. right? Yep. Um, now we didn't pursue that mm-hmm. at the time, whereas a lot of other media publications did. Um, they decided they would publish all those Muhammad cartoons um, because they knew they could. Yep. And we sat down and talked about this at length and decided, well, what's the point? We know we can publish them. Just pull back from it, you know? Mm. Um, you know, you've upset a lot of people as it is. Mm. Um, so we pulled out of that one. But then when Charlie Hebdo happened, um, a different editor then for me, uh, he phoned me at home and said, um, right, we've got to make a, a stand here. The front page is yours. Do whatever you want. <laughs> Send a message. <laughs> no pressure. Yeah. And yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah. And... I thought, oh, well, you know, I haven't got much security here at home. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I, I, I came up with with a piece of artwork which is still framed in the editor's office mm-hmm. to this day. Um, but cartoonists around the world all reacted differently. Um, we all pulled back from, from being public, from mm. having too much access. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you take off, you go to your Facebook page and you start to remove photographs of family. Mm-hmm. And things, just little things like yeah, that, you yeah. know. Um, one of my mates in Australia actually had a fatwa issued against him by a cleric in Pakistan. And um, they took it very, the media, the Murdoch security took it very seriously. <clears throat> and they they took him off radar. Uh, he had to sell his house. His wife had to sell their business. Yeah. They had a restaurant. Um, and where I used to be able to go to Sydney and go to Bill's place, um, you know, be the first port of call from the airport, he just he just disappeared. Mm. And there was one point of contact. And so it did change a lot for a lot of people, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but you can't be intimidated by that crap. No. You no. know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, you're exactly right. Which yeah. is my next question is, why do you think that free speech is so important? Well, it is. It's it's a privilege. Yeah. You know? 
it's a privilege. Yep. And just because you've got this privilege doesn't mean you can go out and abuse it. You know? No. Yeah. Yeah. yeah fully know, understand that. Um, and and you see this time and time and time again. People who have a particular opinion about something, and they know that it's going to upset a lot of people, yeah. demand the right to be able to say it because they you know, they live in a democracy. Well, you know there are ways of saying things, and there are ways of getting messages out. You, you, you need to pull back, do a bit of homework, you know, go yeah. and have a coffee. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. yeah. Settle Just, down. Yeah, relax. Yeah, have a little yeah, chill. Go, yeah. Go hit your head against the wall somewhere. <laughs> think about it first. That's it. Do you think that we're losing the ability, and I always say this to the kids, I said lots of adults aren't very good at this, to agree to disagree. Like you've spoken about your mate Mike who, you know, like you said, I don't really agree with anything that he yeah. does, but we're still mates, and yeah. I have mates like that as well. You think we're beginning to lose that ability to agree to disagree as Kiwis, um, and we've started to enter the... Yeah, there's, a, place, yeah there, there's almost like that belief system. You know, where you go to other countries, I won't mention any names, but one of the first things that they'll do is say, are you from this political side of the fence or that political side of the fence? And the yeah. second you say, actually, I'm from this side, they go, oh, well, our conversation's ended here. We're done. Cheers. Bye. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 I, know, I know where you're coming from. Yeah. Um, it's unfortunate, but that's that's here in New Zealand and... It was one of the last places where I thought it would probably permeate, but it's it's here, mm-hmm. and uh, and it's disappointing in some respects because you've got <clears throat> I'm, I'm I'm old school, and all my mates are from a, a full spectrum. Yeah, you yep. know I've got I know people who do all sorts of things. Um, some work in some very dark places. Some are just normal politicians. Yep. Some are just lawyers, bankers, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, everyone has a different point of view, and you know, if you can't express it with, um, with friends, um, and you can disagree, I've, you know, there are, Leighton Smith's a classic. <laughs> I'll never agree with anything Leighton says. <laughs> right. Yeah, but, but yeah. you know, yeah. But, and we'll chew the fat for 20 minutes and then all of a sudden, you know, we'll we'll laugh and pat each other on the back yeah. and see, you know, see you later. Which is the way it sh- a friendship Which is the be. way it should yeah. be. But th- unfortunately, extremist views have changed that. Mm-hmm. And people uh, people's fuses have become very short. And I think that needs a, that needs a complete rethink. Mm. Um, it's not right. It, in fact, on that full spectrum of of political and ideological thought, it's it's that seesaw. You know, you've mm-hmm. got um, anything close to the middle is always fine, but anything on yeah. the far ends is just it's not right. You know, you're no. going to end up you'll end up with reaction. Yeah, and there's too much of that in the world today, and people need to pull back a bit and think about what they're doing. Um, it's sad, but you know, I, I encourage my children to express their thoughts, but to also respect what other people have got to say mm-hmm. because you're not necessarily right. No, you know. Yep. Yeah, it's one of my greatest memories of going to America is 
we were, I mean, my wife and I were in Harlem to start off with, so naturally we were attracting a few looks and views there. And then this gentleman's standing there and he tries to sell me some literature of Malcolm X's, and I'm like, Bro, I've read that. And he's like, What do you mean? I said, I read that when I was at university. I said, I've read the teachers, uh, teachings of the Honourable Elijah Muhammad as well. And, oh, yeah. and he went, Good one. Oh my God, what country are you from? I said, New Zealand. And he's like, Bro, I've got to come to that country. It sounds pretty awesome. Uh, and I said, What do you mean? He said, Oh, just you wouldn't get that happening here. And I was like, Mate, yeah. Well, yeah. And, you know, it's, yeah. Yeah, America is like that. Yeah. Um, you know, a world trip to them is travelling from New York to San Diego. Yeah, exactly. You know? Yep. For a lot, but but in saying that too, um, the vast majority of my friends and contacts in the states are, are very well travelled, very knowledgeable mm-hmm. people, and um, and have a great respect for what's going on globally, a great yeah. understanding. But there's an awful lot in the in the Rust Belt and the Wheat Belt that don't. Yeah. And I think that's where the problems are in America at the moment. Yep. Unfortunately. Yeah. Yep. You're not wrong. So in recent years, the world's got pretty topsy turvy. We've had reality stars becoming presidents. Yeah. We've had coronavirus hitting. Uh, it kind of reads a little bit like a cartoon, to be fair. It does. Yeah. Right. Has yeah. the topsy turvy nature of the world in the last three or four years actually made your job easier or harder in recent times? It's made it harder because. Um, um, we're going through. I mean, globally, we're 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 at a sea change, you know. Mm-hmm. And um, it's it's trying to understand why so many people don't understand what the the greater problems of the world are and what we need to do to fix it. Mm-hmm. The the alarm bells have been ringing all over the place. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, why don't you still understand mm-hmm. what's going on? Why can't you change your yeah. attitude? Um, there's so there's so there's that holistic view, and then you come back to a local view as well. And I think in New Zealand, um, the, the one thing that I have noticed over the whole COVID business in particular, one of the saddest things really is that there's been um, an awful lot of, um, oh, what's the the term? I guess I'm disappointed by the negativity. Mm -hmm. There's, it's relentless. Mm, Yeah. You know? Yeah. And yet when I, and I correspond with people all over the world on a daily basis almost through back channels um, you know a cartoonist mate in Pakistan or Lahore mm-hmm. or um, you know my kids in the in the States um, or in Sydney uh, they, they, you know they, they look at New Zealand and go you know how lucky are yeah, you yeah, yeah, yeah and you're whinging yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Um, and of course that's that's one of the things that I can't get my head around in, in here at the, at this very point in time is is how people can be so angry that they've been so successful. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, forget about what side of the political fence you're on. Um, this is something we all have to do together. Yeah, and and I reckon they've pulled off 
uh, you know, an absolute bloody miracle. Yep. And you know, they're going to, I mean, when you look at this whole COVID thing, it's an invisible enemy. Yeah. And it wants you, mm. you know? Yep. And so you're going to make mistakes, um, but you're going to learn from them quickly. You can't have a plan. I mean, you can have a rough plan, yep. but you can't have a decisive plan with decisive dates because it's going to change day by day by day. Yeah. And so when you've got people saying, well, we need a date for that. Yeah. You know, um, we're going to open the country and we need a date for that. What, what date are you going to put that? Well, you need to give us a date. Yeah. When are we going to open the doors? Yeah. Well, well, you can't. No. You know, it's mercurial, and it changes day to day to day. So, and it's this whole negativity thing that's that that, that it really does wear me down sometimes. Um, but you know, you just you, know, you wake up in the morning. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Um, like that late great John Clark used to say. We don't know how lucky we are, I think. But hey, look, that's just one of those things. Exactly. Um, conspiracy theories. Do you buy into them or not? <laughs> oh, they're great value. Yeah. Um. yeah. So if I was to say, let's let's give you sort of maybe two or three. Uh, the JFK shooting. Yeah. Um, oh, there's a question mark there. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Area yeah, 51. No. Area 51. Area 51. No. No? No. And let, why not? Let's say the coronavirus, that's everybody's favourite. Oh, no. Well, I know. I'm, I'm there with that one. My, I've had both shots, and I tell you what, my Wi-Fi has improved out of Boom. sight, yep. and, and I'm on Google Maps. There you go. You're good with it. <laughs> like um, Adrian yeah. Edmondson said from The Young Ones, when he got his injection, he tweeted out, <laughs> feel a bit ripped off, haven't grown a tail, the Wi-Fi hasn't improved at my house, uh, and I haven't received a phone call from Bill Gates either. Yeah, so, <laughs> yeah. all right, now, doesn't have to, because Bill knows where you are. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I'm fascinated by QAnon myself personally, uh, and yeah. how far some people will fall yeah. down the rabbit hole without yeah. any type of safety harness, so to speak. Do you think the rise of social media and groups like the aforementioned are something that we should be worried about politically? especially from a, like a political spectrum because like you've said you know in the centre there you've got that balance on that seesaw but out to the far edges there yeah, previously yeah. these groups have been quite easy to detect and everything else but now they're sort of on social media in little chat room groups and everything else and like the QAnon group you know QAnon started off as sort of this idea and then the next thing you know there's thousands of them and they're invading mm. the Capitol Hill mm. so yeah, no, is it something a... you worry about? Is... No I do um, and I I try to put a finger on that, and I think I, I keep coming back to education. I keep, and I've said this many times, that I think the education system has probably failed us somewhere. Mm -hmm. When you've got so many people who can actually believe this rubbish, mm -hmm. when they can't go through the the logistics of it all, and say, well, actually, that's garbage. Yeah, you know. And there's some fantastic mems around where you've got. Um, but the scientists working, I saw one the other day, scientists working on, on the coronavirus and they're in the lab and they've got the microscopes and all that sort of stuff. And then you've got me researching coronavirus. And there's a woman sitting on the toilet with her pants down looking at her phone, <laughs> going through Facebook. Yeah. And that, that sums it up beautifully. Yeah. Um, and it does worry me that people fall for that stuff. The problem is that I think we leave too many loose ends mm. open for people to go rushing through to to go looking for things like that, you know? Mm. Um, and, of course, some of it is warranted too, you know? Um, 
I w- Pam and I watched a great documentary last night on the Google Brain on the Curiosity Channel. Right. And this is where Google has decide- made a decision that they're going to scan every book on the pl- in the planet. All right. Every yeah. book. Yeah. And they've started, long started. It's a very long, complicated story, um, but it's been brought to a halt because of uh, litigation on copyright. Yeah. Um, but they've like they've been everywhere, man, scanning books left, right, and centre. Um, but um, intellectuals have sat down and looked at what they're actually, what the end game is with all of this stuff, and it's it's actually not a pretty sight. There's a lot of things that they're actually capable of doing when you've got one a private entity that that has all this knowledge. Uh. Yeah, straight away I'm beginning to think of creating algorithms so that they can rewrite books and yeah. everything else. Yeah. Oh, exactly, you know. And yeah. and so for me, their initial intention was for the greater good of man. Mm-hmm. But what it's done is create, it's it's left this huge hole mm. where the, the conspiracy theorists are just going to suck into. Yep. And so that's where we go wrong. We don't, you know, if we're going to come up with something that's for the greater good, then we need to be able to prove it, and we need to and we need to have to put a, a steel ring around it. Yeah. So no one else can start playing with it. You know. Yeah, you're exactly right. But and how gullible the rest of us. Well, yeah, that's <laughs> it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, now there are some that say if you make fun of people's beliefs or political values, yeah. that you risk isolating them or pushing them further underground. Is that something that you worry about in today's climate, especially when you draw a cartoon? Yeah. Um... I mean, because like you said, you're doing satire, um, and satire is, like you said, comedy's evil twin, but Mm. it's, you know, you always risk that sort of, oh, well, you know, if they don't believe me, then I'm going to, and they sort of get pushed a little bit further underground. Do you worry about it, or are you just, it's not something that even enters your thought? Uh, Well, you have to look at what account, the power of what that cartoon can have. It'll never bring down a government, no. but it will chip away at the mortar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? Yep. Um, and it can pull the rug out from underneath mm-hmm. a few people. And I've and you've got to be very careful how you do that. Um, in this time of mass conspiracy theories and those that are out there advocating, um, you know, even up here at Birkenhead where you've got uh, the vaccination centre, there are people protesting outside yeah, you know yep. um, you, you've got to deal with that carefully but then you've got to take it for what it is and and almost you know smack them over the head with a rolled up newspaper saying what are you doing yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, wake yeah, up yeah, wake yeah, up yeah, you know yeah um, uh, it's it's a tricky one it really is yeah. but uh, you don't stop, no. you know. It, it doesn't, you don't change your mind. You don't pull back. I no. think if it's for the greater good, trying to get a message through. Yep. Um, sometimes you've got to. I mean, you've got a big toolbox with a with a editorial cartoon. In it is a surgical scalpel, and it goes all the way through to a sledgehammer. <laughs> yeah. And you roll that out on the desk every day, <laughs> yeah. and they're right. Which one am I going to use choose, today? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Who's it going to be? Right. Yeah. Do you think we've lost the ability to laugh at ourselves? No. 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 I, people still do. And look, um, 
people from all walks of life laugh at themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, Humour is something that's been around for a very long time. It's been around long before the first book was published. Mm. Um, the Merry Minstrel used to sing satire. Yep. Um, some of the smart-ass sculptors used to draw, used to create these bizarre satirical images uh, and put them, uh, you know, in in churches. Yep. You know, um, Michelangelo, uh, the the last, uh, not the last, but the um, what is it? The um, yes, I know exactly what you're talking about. The, yeah. the, the end, uh, yep. the, the end wall of the Sistine in Chapel. Chapel. Yep. Um, that's littered. With satire, yep. that thing, yeah, and um, and this is long before print came in, so you're always able to have a joke, yep. you know, and and it's often at great risk. The, even r- remote tribes of uh, you know in South America or, or in uh, you know the the tribes in New Guinea or in um, in Africa. They all know how to laugh. Yeah, they laugh at each other. You yeah, know? yeah, yep. Yeah, you're not it's wrong. It's just, it's one of the the few human traits which uh, which I think is just a fantastic. Plus, it's good for you as well. Yeah, yep, exactly. Yeah. Health benefits. But once again, it's always at someone else's expense. Correct. Yep. You know, not wrong. Um, talk us through your chance meeting with Jerry Robinson. One, did you know who he was when you first met him? No, I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> and <laughs> so for those of you who don't know, and I just said to Rod before he hopped into the car, I'm an avid comic book fan, so when he when he sent me through his some of his highlights, I was like, Jerry Robinson, he's the man who, co- well, it's rumoured, co-created the Joker and Robin. Know, and he, did. Yeah. he did. Yep. He did. Um, yeah. What was that like when you were... Well, I was, uh, I was a... Um, uh, I was at a conference in... In San Diego, mm-hmm. with the American Editorial Cartoonist at the Rubens uh, Awards, and at the we were at the dinner, the main dinner, and I'm sitting around a table with a whole bunch of people and uh, cartoonists from all over the place. Mm-hmm. And in fact, one of the guys at my table drew Beetle Bailey. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, right? yeah, 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 yeah. So all these guys are there. Yeah. And and I said, um, like. <laughs> I said, "Is Mort Drucker here?" Because Mort yeah. Drucker yeah. is, you know, used to do those fantastic intros for Mad Magazine. Yeah, because that was that yeah, was the, the keystone yeah. for me. Yeah. I loved his work, and they said, "Yeah, he's here somewhere." Um, and and the next thing was this hand on my shoulder, and I turn around, and it's Mort Drucker, and he, he, he said, "You know, do you smoke? Let's go outside and have a stogie." <laughs> <laughs> and and from that. Um, a chance I think we this guy walked past and it was Jerry Robinson and we got into a chat with with uh, with Mort Drucker and and then he said oh yeah you're the guys one of the guys that's come out from Australia um, I'd love to see you work you know yeah uh, he said meet you in the uh, the foyer tomorrow morning at nine o'clock what's going on right eh and so I, yeah. And I normally don't, I wouldn't take anything with me, no. but I did take a couple of samples of my work, yeah. In case someone said, "So what do you actually do?" <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And anyway, so I get there, and uh, and there's Jerry, and he's, and we had a cup of coffee and a and a good old chat, 
and and I showed him my work, and he said, oh, bloody hell, um, yeah, um, righto, here's the fax number, here's my phone number, start sending your work, anything that's on a, an American or a world issue, send it to me, and this is in the days of fax machines, yep. and so that started up, and um, then I found out later who he was, Yeah. and I woo, <laughs> yeah. um, and once again, just a an average, you know, a, a, a nice guy who had a, uh, a who used to work for Bob Kane. Yep. And on the Sunday strips, and their sole reason for for being was to come up with, uh, you know, uh, um, uh, characters for the dynamic duo to mm-hmm. fight. Mm. And he just came up with the the Joker. Mm-hmm. And um, and which which went on to become this phenomenal thing. Yep. And I thought, oh, <laughs> how does this happen? You know, you yeah. get to meet these people. But anyway, and then and Jerry built up this this what was the cartoonist and writer syndicate, and it's now owned by the, I think the New York Times, and it's now called the New York Times Writers and Syndicate, mm-hmm. something like that. But it's now but Jerry's since died, and it's now. Uh, run by his son, right, and um, who I liaise with on a you know uh, every six months email something like that. Uh, I don't necessarily send them work anymore because I'm copyrighted mm. here. Um, but every now and then there might be something that he's really interested mm. in, and he'll say, "I saw that cartoon you did on da 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 da. Can you please send me a copy mm. of that?" So. Yeah, and I think what a lot of people don't realise about Jerry Robinson is he really fought really hard for cartoonists and creators to be acknowledged by some of the companies that they're working. I didn't realise this until I started having a look at the podcast we're going to do, but he was actually one of the main people that was responsible for making sure that Siegel and Schuster got the money that they were owed for Superman. Right, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, fair You know, quote. but there are others as well. Um, uh yeah. Yeah, there are. Yeah, you're yeah. right. And, uh, yeah, but that's well. Look, I'll give you one example. Go on then. Um, Chuck Jones. Yep. You know, Chuck Jones didn't create Bugs Bunny, but he stylized him. Mm-hmm. Created uh, Daffy Duck, Daffy Duck, Pepe Le Pew, Marvin the Martian. Yeah. Right? I spent half the day with him at his house in Laguna Beach, yep. California. And in fact, I got a photograph of myself in his lounge room, holding up the the, the Academy Award that. Um, at Bugs Bunny had won, <laughs> but he was eighty. He just turned eighty, yep. and had signed a a, a three year contract with Warner Brothers. To get, but well, yeah. he was given Chuck was given a gold card. Now, but they owned everything he did, mm. Mm-hmm. Mm. absolutely everything. And yep. this is, you know, so he. I mean, he was wealthy. By our standards, but he could have been super wealthy yeah. if he had his own copyright. Yeah, and that was the thing that he, even though he was doing extremely well, he could travel the world and see um, Bugs Bunny on the back of a truck. Yeah, you know, or uh, a Marvin the Martian on a T-shirt somewhere, and you know, any, any place on the planet. Yep. But would he get the, the royalties no. from the sale? Then? Exactly. No. Yeah. If they make a hundred million dollar yeah. movie about it, yeah, the rest is history. Yeah. Uh, what the hell does a room 
or a conference full of cartoonists talk about when they get together. Because <laughs> when I saw that you've been to, like, you've done a couple of conferences, you also had a conference planned for uh, last year, year before, I think it was in Canada. Yeah, I was well, like, I mean, yeah, well yeah. this was a combined one yeah. um, that that didn't come off, unfortunately, because of COVID, but, it, but we'd spent months planning. Um, now, that was a combined one with the Canadian cartoonists and the American editorial cartoonists. And um, essentially what... I mean, the, the Americans have had a, a tough time because mm. a lot of them have lost their jobs. Yeah. And that's that came about mostly because of... And I wrote a story about this. Mostly because of the proprietors of the publications or the media networks were actually Trump supporters. Right. And they would get the word down the food chain saying, you know, we don't like the cartoons that are being published in your newspaper. And this was surfaced by uh, the Pittsburgh Gazette, mm -hmm. um, where Rob Rogers was one of the ones that was one of the first to actually get the flick because of his, his Trump stance. Yeah. And, you know, forget about the fact that cartoonists are essentially the canary in the <laughs> yeah, coal yeah, mine. Yeah, you know, yeah. they've been singing right across America. Yeah. So each one that was singing and squawking aloud, I was, boom, gone, boom, yeah. gone, boom, gone. And I think somewhere between 10 and 12 lost their jobs mm -hmm. through that whole Trump era. Um, so that was, that's a topic of conversation, that one. Yeah, 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 <laughs> so well, there's yeah. a lot to talk about there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and, of course, there's also the, um, uh, the the future of editorial cartooning. Where does it go? How do we develop? How do, how do we um, foster the industry uh, and bring in new people um, into a digital world? Because, and half the, you know, half the cartoonists... Uh, editorial cartoonists had to learn how to do a digital board. Well, well, yeah, yeah. In fact, when I was in, um, oh, he's going to hate me for saying this. Um, <laughs> Should we call I, him John I, Smith? I, I, well, yeah. I, won't, I won't identify him, but he's yeah. uh, a bloody fantastic cartoonist. Old school ink used to use ink on paper and then scan. Um, and and I I brought everything with me. I had you know a super powerful little. Mac laptop with mm -hmm. a digital drawing board, a Wacom drawing board, and I could work anywhere. Yeah, and as a lot of cartoonists can, um, and but this guy admitted to me the night before that he just didn't know anything about it and wanted to try one. And I said, "Well, I've got it with me," and I was surprised that yep. he. But anyway, so we met the next day, and I we went into the lounge, and I set it all up for him, and. And he sat there <laughs> struggling like, oh, because they are difficult. Yep. It's separation. You know, what you and, when you and I write or yep. draw, we're looking at what we're doing. Yeah. But with a digital drawing pad, looking at the, you, you, yeah. it's, yep. it's, you know, you have yeah, to look the straight ahead. Yep. And it takes an awful lot to be able to coordinate mm. that. But once you get it, it's like riding a bike, you're yep. away. And he, I don't know, <laughs> there, it was like, Day one, you know, <laughs> learning to walk, and and yet, you know, he, he was he's a fantastic cartoonist and, and a brilliant. Uh, and I know I'm not sure if he was a uh, uh, no, I'm sure he picked up one of the Pulitzer Awards at at some stage. But anyway, he's now 
I notice now he's and we we still stay in contact every now and then. Um, he's now drawing digitally, but nice man, mate's all good. Right. Yeah. What's your creative process look like? So, you get given a certain amount of time to obviously come up with an editorial cartoon. Um, what does it look like from woe to go? So, you can pick your own topic. Yeah. Oh, well, the radars on and the sonar. Yep. Uh, is on 24-7, always listening, uh, and listening to people, Mm -hmm. you know, um, at a party or a dinner or or at a bar or something, and and you'll hear a smart comment, you know, you'll lock that one away. Which is quite good, because like when I spoke to some of my workmates today, and they said, oh, who are you doing your podcast with today? I said, oh, Rod Emerson, they're like, oh, I know that name, it's like, editorial cartoonist for the Herald, they're like, Oh yeah, cool. I wouldn't know what he looked like if I saw him. Yeah, like, I like that idea. I said, yeah, Thank keep you. that way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's yeah, my yeah, security yeah, blanket. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. What's it look like? So, first of all, the radar's on mm-hmm. all the time. Um, but first thing in the morning, uh, I I get up and I I'm, I do a few exercises and stuff like that. But while yep. I'm doing that, I'm listening. I listen to uh, national radio. Yep. Which is very good because they, they go through. You know, a, a dozen subjects very quickly. Yep. And um, so I don't have to go searching online. No. I'll also have a look. While while I'm listening to that, mm-hmm. I'll sit down and I'll go through the Herald website and see what we've got, what's happened through the night. Um, then I'll look at uh, the other news websites. And then I'll hit Twitter. and Because Twitter, for you know, it's a coliseum of hate. That place, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you, know, yeah. you duck your head in, you're likely to get hit with a brick. Yeah. So, it, but it's also a good source for instantly breaking news. Yes. So yep. you, I'll quickly go in there and have a look to see amongst all the the hate. There's a little bit, you know, if there's been an earthquake in Haiti. Yeah. Well, you know, an earthquake in Haiti a minute ago. Yeah. You know. Yep. You'll you'll see it there before you'll hear about it on the yes. news. Yeah, definitely right. Um, so I'll go there as well, and then I, th- and as the morning progresses, I'm sort of weighing up different stories. Um, my deadlines are now very early, so I used to go to a news conference around one thirty. Um, that's no good to me anymore because my deadline now is essentially five o'clock or right. five thirty at the absolute latest, because my work is fed into the regionals first. Um, so they're holding the presses for me. So I've got to. I have to be working before that starts. So I allow six to eight hours. Yep. So what are we talking? Ten o'clock, you know? Yep. So the mind is locked in. Yep. Searching for stories. And there, there have been times when I've had a blank page at four o'clock, <laughs> but I've got all these different ideas. Yeah. And I know I have to have something by five. Yeah, pressure's a wonderful thing. Pre- it? Oh, it's fantastic. It creates diamonds, so they tell <laughs> oh, me. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, yeah. I'm actually 35, but I look <laughs> yeah, like yeah. I'm 90. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, so it's one of those. Uh, but you'll always come up with something. Yeah. You know, and, and the, the last thing you should do is panic. Yeah. You know, it's um, it's like being in a 747 all four engines are gone. You're at 35,000 feet. Yeah. You don't sit there and go, oh, my God, I did my mother. Yeah. You sit there and, and which has happened when that, uh, was it a Qantas or a 
British Airways. Yeah, yeah. Yep. He said, they asked, they said, what do you do? And he said, I sat on my hands. Took a deep breath. thought, right, how are we going to get out of this? And yep. that's exactly what I do. <laughs> yeah. How am I going to get out of this? Yeah. Um, so you've always got all these different options, um, different ideas, and sometimes you might get a flash of brilliance, which means you can you can start drawing almost instantly and start to build. And I like that because you can um, build up a nice image. Mm-hmm. You've got the, the thing is you've got whether it's in print or online, you've got three to five seconds of the reader's time. Mm-hmm. And in that time, they're coming in dead cold. Mm-hmm. So these are all the parameters. Um, in that three to five seconds, you have to spoon feed them the story. You have to be the art director, the scriptwriter, the uh, um, you know uh, props. Yep. You, you're you're the whole shoot and match. Yep. And you've got this little frame to work in. And so it's not easy, you know. So they have to be able to digest that, understand it, and go and and either get a laugh or get a smirk or get angry or spit their coffee out yep. or spit out the wheat bix. Um, you have to get a reaction within that time frame, and it's not deliberate. You, you know, you're out there to to provoke debate. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because that's, I've very that's often, all it is. I very often have seen your cat. I've done it myself. I've seen your cartoons or other cartoons, cartoonists at work that's been cut out and put up on the work board or on yeah. the fridge or something else. So people are like, have a look at it. Oh yeah, that's an interesting point. Boom, and that's what. Well, yeah. it, it's either good for twenty four hours or it's good for twenty four years or it's good for twenty four centuries. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah, not wrong. Yep, you know, yep. and it can be a corner. St- you don't know whether no. it's going to happen that day or not. You know, you you just sit there and you you think, oh, well, that's a pretty average cartoon. You think, Jesus, I hope I can improve on that tomorrow. You find out the next day, and over the coming weeks, that it's actually become a benchmark in in uh, you know your your country's history. Mm. People have grabbed it and seized it. Um, or this, it could this be This is us, the perfect example. The cover you did for This Is Us with all the hearts. The perfect yes. example. I mean my mate in Canada picked that up. He's like, Well it's an amazing piece of artwork. I've um, I should be telling you this. He said, I've actually got it printed off and I put it up on my wall, it's that good. And I'm like you know, that that yeah. type of stuff, yeah. That's yeah. I've had that happen so many times yep. on, on different on different subjects and that's one of the other things that I really enjoy is that when and, and I shouldn't say enjoy but um, when you get a, a something like a Christchurch or uh, a very heavy moving event mm-hmm. um, the one thing you can do is become part of that healing process mm-hmm. and yeah, it's a very fine line, and it takes a bit of skill. And sometimes you're better off backing away from it if you don't know where where to start or end. But I like to go into those because um, uh, I think I've got enough experience to be able to wrap it up and um, say something meaningful. Mm. Because it it could well be something that's. You know, you might lose a, a young officer in the line of duty who just did a, a normal traffic stop, you yep. know, and he had a whole life ahead of him. And you know, 
I mean, New Zealanders love their police. Yeah. And and here's this guy, his life's just taken like that. And you think, God, you know, that's so bloody senseless. Yeah. Things like that um, are very important. It could be a soldier in um, Afghanistan. Um, yep, yep. You know, and I've had I've had um, people come up to me at uh, at the barracks at Papakura. Uh, a woman in particular, who's a soldier herself, said um, she was almost in tears. She said that that cartoon that you did about my husband. Um, did you know that that's um, a screensaver for soldiers not here but also in Australia? What? Yeah. You know, you, you don't know these things? No, you know? yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, you know at the time that you put a lot of effort into making this image, but the ramifications of that... And... and, and it becomes it does become part of the healing process so i acknowledge that but it's not yeah it's just i'm just a bloody cartoonist yeah but uh, i mean yeah. at the end of the day i mean i've been to like comic book conventions for instance and you meet an artist and they almost i don't know who's more thrilled the person that's actually go well i loved your work in this issue and they're like my god you actually read that yeah, yeah, yeah that's yeah, right like, yeah, so, yeah. So, I knew I had a reader. Yeah, yeah, exactly. There he is. I've met him. Yeah. I've finally met him. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, uh, yeah. Perfect example. Yeah. Um, great example. My mate is in Canada. There's a young chap there called Donny Cates who's currently doing just about everything for Marvel Comics. Um, he said the queue for the TV stars is out the window. Donny's got nobody in front of him. Mate walks up to him. He says, "Spent an hour and a half with him. Bought him coffee and everything else." He said nobody even knew who he's kind of really was. It was like. It's tragic. Yeah. 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 Anyway, uh, what does a day look off look like for you? That off when you're off off the radar? Because I know you paint, but yeah. you can't do art all the time, can no, you? No, no, you can't. And downtime is always a tricky thing because Pam's always trying to get me to relax. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and um, but my head is just always buzzing with with different ideas yeah, yeah. so it, it, like when when Pam and I go away like we did a couple of weekends back um, we went away for four days and she's well this is a good example because Pam uh, has her mum and dad died um, fairly recently mm-hmm. uh, and you know not together no but, <laughs> but yeah yeah you know uh, about a year and a half space and she was very close to both of them and and I'd noticed that she was really starting to to get a bit dark and closed in. And um, and I'd been fighting uh, prostate cancer as well. Yeah. I've, had, I've had, you know, I'm clear, but I've, I've been dealing with that myself for the last five years. And so I'd, um, and I started to think, well, it's not always about me, you know? Um, and so we, I packed her up and away we went for a long weekend and um, and I for the first time I started it you know you smell the fresh air and you see the sun shining and you you look at people enjoying themselves and they go oh there's a bloody life out there yeah yeah yeah. Um, so down downtime's always a very tricky thing for me I'm always doing something and and unfortunately it's run off to my children yeah um, just before I came here uh, well, I've been working on a a commission at home, uh, a corporate commission, and um, 
and I thought, oh, you know, I'll give my son a quick call in Los Angeles, and it's Sunday over there. I said, "What are you?" I said, "What are you up to?" And he said, oh, "I'm working. <laughs> <laughs> I'm doing this job for ESPN." Da 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 da. Oh God, you know. Yeah, yeah. I think you and I need to get a life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, to get a breather. Yeah. So downtime for me is a tricky thing. It's a very hard. Takes ages for me to relax. Yeah. Uh, and is there a process you follow that? It was one of the questions I always ask all my guests: is when I start talking mental health to you. How how do you look after yourself? Some people say, I don't, I just sort of get on with it. But as you get older, you get a little bit wiser. So how do you yeah. look after your mental health? Well, actually, when I first came here, one of my son's um, schoolmates uh, threw himself off a bridge off the motorway mm-hmm. here. And dealing with that, with with my uh, eldest son, mm-hmm. it's just, it just the most diabolical thing. Mm. Gosh almighty. Yeah. Um, and the whole then I became fully aware of the whole youth suicide business here in New Zealand, and on the grander scale, that how you know that there is a um, a big thing with depression here, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and and there's a lot of people who've started initiatives to try and work their way around. And I could never understand the way. How can you be so bloody depressed when you've got all this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. Um, I was never brought up like that. No. And I could never get my head, never get my head around it, but um, but it does happen, and yep. and it happens to all of us. You you get into that dark corner, and um, I don't know, uh, I I snap myself out of it. Yeah, but I know obviously people don't, and right. and, and it's, this is quite relevant given the cyclist, the Olympic cyclist. Yes. Yep. Um, I mean, nothing is worth cutting your life short. No, no, you're not wrong. Yep. I, yeah, I do see how work, people... We have to work on that somewhere, yep. somehow. Yeah. The, the pressure on our youth to contribute or to um, uh, to to be the absolute best at such a young age doesn't matter no it really doesn't because look let's be honest you and i both know i can comfortably say this knowing that we're both in our mid-30s yeah, uh, exactly. that, yeah, yeah. When well you, i had you pegged for 25 yeah exactly but. god bless you um <laughs> you know when you're 20 when you're 35 what you did at the age of 20 really means next to nothing it really doesn't it's well no you know, well like, it, yeah. do, it, it doesn't it doesn't i mean yeah. it all becomes it goes into that little drawer of experience yeah um but you're right you know it it, it doesn't mean no doesn't mean anything. No. You just you just got to pick yourself up and move on to the next thing. Yeah. Um, and that's one of the things I've all, especially seeing what happened to Locke. He was and my son was just so devastated by that. Yeah. He he couldn't understand how how this could happen. Yeah. Um, and he was the only one I couldn't get my head around it either. Yeah. Yeah. Um. But the one thing I've tried to encourage them is to, you know, look, we lost our house in 1974 on the floods in Brisbane. Yeah. We lost everything. Yeah. The lot. All I had was the clothes on my back. Hey, I'm still here. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah? Yep. Look, yeah, look yeah. at me. Yeah. i got an iPhone. i got a car. Yep. i got a house. Yep. You know? Yeah. You can rebuild. Yeah, that's it. Um, 
you pick yourself up and you start again. Yeah, not wrong. Now, I know that you really enjoy your music because you and I very often correspond yeah. on Twitter. <laughs> yes. uh, with, like, well, you'll mention something and I'm like, oh, that'll be such and such. I've got to be honest, I'll let you into a bit of a secret now. I used to manage a CD record store before I joined the place. So that's oh, why fantastic. I'm a bit of a music. I can't play, though, which is quite weird. Um, yeah. Is there any style of music that gets played and you leave the room? Because you've got quite a diverse taste. I look at it and I'm like, yeah. But what's the sort of style of music that gets played and you're like, oh, oh well, I'm done I'm, now? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, uh, that's a tricky one because I, uh, it, I've always appreciated all mm-hmm. sorts of music. The spectrum of music is huge. Yeah. Um, in fact, I wanted to be. My father asked me as a kid, "What do you want to be when you grow up?" And I said, "I want to be a musician," and that was the, that was the end of it. <laughs> I was going to say, yeah. Actually, Dad, I've come up with a better idea. I'm going to become, become a, a cartoonist. cartoonist. Oh no, yeah, no, yeah, no, 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 that'll work. Yeah. Double file. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, where would I walk out of the room? Probably. <laughs> I, I like. I do like opera. Um, I, I think um, yodeling would do it for me. Yeah, yeah, I've got to, yeah, got to agree with you there. <laughs> but everything else in between, I've always loved. And, you know, I, I actually, I, I did pursue music very early on. Yep. Um, and I ended up being a roadie for bands in Brisbane as a in my late teens, early twenties, mm-hmm. and I worked for like Billy Joel's first concert in Australia. Yep. Um, worked. Carried bloody Roy boxes with, with the band. Yep. Um, work with so many different groups, you know, pub bands right through. Um, and I, for all the love that I I had and and the drive I had to wanting to be a musician, being exposed to it at that level, I thought this is awful. Yeah, yeah. I don't think people realise. <laughs> Um, this is a shocking life. Yeah, the motel rooms, the back entrances into stadiums. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, you know, the, and it, it's a nocturnal life. Yep. And the last concert I worked for was uh, Roberta Flack, and we got ripped off. We'd spent days setting this, well, not days, of, of, you know, the yep. day before, yep. and then all day setting up this bloody show. And then we got paid in cash at the end and you know 50 60 bucks yep hang on yeah yeah Yeah. see you later yeah yeah yep see you later and that's and my neighbor was a surveyor and he said come work with me for a couple of weeks and that's where i ended up there you go uh now favorite music taste i know you're a big beatles fan like i am everybody's like the beatles though but if i said to you What's the one artist you've got just about everything they've ever done of? Who is it? Oh, there's a few of those. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> you're going to hate this. Probably ACDC. No, there's nothing wrong with that. That's great. Yeah. Yeah, so, yeah. I, I mean, there's a... That's an algorithm. Yeah. And they're they, from the same land, to be fair. Yeah. Well, they are, yeah. but... They are, but... Don't forget that the Australian music scene... It would be nothing without the New Zealand input. No. Yep. Yeah. yeah exactly. Yep. You know that the 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 roadies, the sound, the sound workers, the bass players, the drummers. Yep. You know. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's a lot of cross pollination there. Yeah. Not wrong. Um. So 
but I think ACDC is the one that I that I really enjoy. I'm not allowed to play it in the house. <laughs> so. um, but the Beatles, yeah, fantastic. George Harrison, yeah, yeah. Paul McCartney, fantastic. Yeah. Um, Clapton, I, Clapton lost me after his little tirade about um, concerts. Got to be honest, Clapton lost me after his autobiography. I read it and I went, it was a bit self-serving. Yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah well, yeah. I, I saw his documentary a while back and Pam played it the other night at home and uh, and I, I said, oh, I've seen this before. He's not a very nice guy, actually. Mm. Yeah. Yep, yeah. And oh. and then she said, yeah, you're right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right, final question. It's a question I always ask all my guests. Yeah. It's this. It's the day... Of reckoning for Rod Emerson. Yeah. Uh, it's, the eulogy has been delivered, but strangely enough, you're lying in your casket and you can actually hear what people are saying. What would you like them to say about you? And I'm going to ask you as a special sort of cartoonist question, what, have you actually got your obituary cartoon planned? Uh, no. Well, there you go. You should, maybe you no, I don't it, yeah. have that. I don't yeah. have that planned. Yeah. Um, what would I like to hear them say? Um I think probably the, th the thing that I tell my kids, once again, is that I don't care whether you're rich or poor, just as long as you're a bloody good bloke. Yeah. You know, honest, yep. straightforward, tell no lies, don't shortchange people, do the right thing. And if somebody stood up and said at my funeral, he was a nice guy, he was a good guy, he did the right bloody thing, um, all the way through then I'd be happy. Yeah. And can we now start thunderstrucking away again? Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Rod, thank you very much for your time. Uh, it's been amazing. Uh, I knew you'd be a great podcast, and sure enough you were, so appreciate it. Thank you very much. Feel free to edit that right down to three or four seconds. Cappuccino with Constable Brian. Real people, real stories. Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss his next podcast.